Ari Rosebaum here with a fun-filled new episode of that 4K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about one of those rules we don't talk much about, but really should. It's the involuntary cash-out rule um, and why every plan really needs one. Uh, go to that 4 site.com for further information on all our events. Arlington, Texas, May the 3rd. Um, I think it's June the 6th is New York, Bronx, and January 25th and 26th. We will uh, have our national virtual um, conference. Uh, many thanks to our sponsors, Invesco, Millennium, um, Advis uh, Partners as well. And we're adding some uh, uh, as we speak. And of course, anybody that wants to sponsor the virtual event, we're basically giving it to you for free if you decide that you want to sponsor our live event. So we're going to use the virtual events, going to have two days, and then just use it as you know a great way to get people in uh, for our live events. Um, and uh, of course, uh, that 4 site.com. we got articles, just post an article about my 26 baseball parks. And which are, you know, listed from 26 down to 1. Uh, 26 being Oakland uh, Coliseum as the worst, I believe. Did I list it as the worst or did I list Tampa Bay? Number 1 is Fenway Park. Uh, and in the, the meantime, it's really, you know, really hard to specify the difference out of you, once you get out of your top 3 and your bottom 3, I, I think. Um, you know, is Cleveland that much better? Uh, than Kansas City or, or, or whatnot, and, and Pittsburgh is such an underrated ballpark, and I've been there a couple times, and whatever, you can check it out there and whatnot. Um, as far as the involuntary, uh, well, actually, as far as last week's concern, um, recorded it on Monday, I think, uploaded it, but didn't upload it completely, and it wasn't until like Friday, after, late afternoon, I got a uh, little message from uh, my buddy Mike Webb, what happened with the podcast? And of course, I, I uploaded it late uh, this week. I'll make sure I didn't do that. Um, but in terms of the involuntary cash out rule, you know, uh, one of my favorite movies that I constantly watch clips from is The Equalizer, the first one. And there's always that scene uh, where Denzel playing Robert McCall uh, talks to the Russian mobster, the Russian hitman. Um, and basically says, you know, I'll take you out dollar by dollar, brick by brick. And basically the uh, Russian mobster and says, you know, I, I never really, I never really had that sentimental chip. Um, and when it came time to, you know, changing jobs, uh, there was that three-year period where I changed jobs two or three times. And, and by that time, I was just done working with other people. Uh, I was never the guy who had a problem with saying goodbye. I, I said goodbye before my last day. I, you know, I kind of checked out, uh, you know, kind of quickly. Uh, I just didn't want to be there anymore. And that's how I was. I, I remember at Stony Brook when I, I, I had the worst case of senioritis. I just, I just, I, I think I checked out two months earlier and, and that was a problem. And that was my worst semester by far at Stony Brook. But, you know, I, I, I've never had a tough time saying goodbye. See ya. Adios. Um, but a lot of employees don't do that. You know, one of the first things I did when I terminated service was fill out that rollover form. I want that money. I want it out of their plan. I want to handle it my own. Most employees aren't like that. Most employees don't have the knowledge of investing and whatnot. They just kind of like leave it there. And 
you know, one of the tools that plan sponsors have uh, in dealing with former participants is the involuntary cash out bowl, which back when I started was $3,500. Now, starting in 2024, it will be $7,000. Uh, it's something that I really like uh, for plans, and I think every plan sponsor should have it. Not only should they have it, they should actually also use it, which I think is a problem because a lot of people have it and just don't bother using it. So, I think the number one thing that people forget is former employees are participants too. Uh, which reminds me, it was a TV show, Kids Are People Too. It was on ABC, whatnot. I think Michael Young was the host when I was a kid. Uh, kids are people too. Former employees are participants too. So when you're a participant in the plan, whether you left service or not, you know, you got to get notices and whatnot. And of course, most plan sponsors were always prior to the, uh, you know, allowance of, uh, emailing notices, plan sponsors were terrible and plan providers were terrible at sending out notices. And, you know, a lot of, you know, ERISA required notices, ERISA, retirement benefits are protected. So, you know, it's important to get it out for former employees. And that becomes a problem when they're former employees, whether they're, you know, gone or missing. Uh, and missing is such a, a headache. And the problem with notices is that even if you do it by email, uh, you do it online. If an email bounces, uh, it's up to the plan sponsor and the plan provider to, you know, start issuing uh, paper notices or trying to get the email that is good for the plan participant. So it's just like a lot of headaches. And that also, you know, deals with participant direction investments. Uh, if you're not notifying them, are you notifying about their, you know, investments? Are you giving them education? Uh, and most, uh, most plans don't. Most plans kind of leave those former participants out in the wind. Um, and uh, that's problematic. Uh, we see now with the stock market, again, really, really choppy. I can tell you, you know, I'm about $10,000 down. Uh, that's not fun. My IRA is negative. The only thing that's positive is my crypto account. Uh, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, Keeping employees in a plan is a headache. That's why it's important that plan sponsors follow up with plan participants, former employees, uh, especially those uh, that have high account balances. You want them out. And there's a cost involved. Uh, there's a cost in sending out notices. There's a cost of following up and timing. There's a cost of identifying missing participants. There's all a cost involved. But the biggest cost of all is an audit. And there are plans out there that I assume that even with the new audit requirements that we only count participants with account balances, thank you, thank you, thank you, um, there are plans out there that are probably paying an audit just because they still have foreign participants with account balances in the account. Uh, that's, that's a pain. You know, you're paying 15 grand or whatever it is, maybe more. You got one of those top four accounting firms doing your books for the plan. And it's just a headache. And uh, so, again, even with that new rule, which we love, I, I never understood why we have to count people that don't have an account balance. Why bother with them? Um, you know, a great way is getting the former participants to take their account balances and, and trim those numbers. You know, it's like uh, it's like my front yard. you got to prune. There are a couple of trees that you prune, and uh, otherwise they grow and block your, your, your window. And... If you don't prune excess 
uh, accounts from former employees, then, you know, you could be paying more in costs. And, you know, I love accountants. I love CPA firms. But, uh, you know, if a plan sponsor could save a considerable amount of money, uh, they really, really should. Um, and, um, you know, it's just, just common sense, in my opinion. And so that brings us to the involuntary cash out rule, which again is is, is totally uh, optional. But I want to say in the 25 years that I practice, I've never had a plan that didn't have that involuntary cash out rule. Uh, we had it at a lower limit. So right now you could have up from 1000 to 5000 We kept it, we used to draft it when the first rule came out dealing with the mandatory IRA distributions. We kept it as um, as low as possible because anything above $1,000 has to go to an IRA provider. And back in those days, we didn't have pen checks or Millennium and, and, you know, making it very, very easy to open up IRA accounts for, you know, participants, uh, whether they're, you know, just former employees or missing former employees. So we kept the limit at 1000 bucks. We pay it in cash. Adios. We obviously give them notice. Uh, that's one of the big issues. you got to give them a 402F notice. They have the right to take it and move it to their own IRA. They could take it in cash. But we'll say, you know, listen, we don't hear from you. We're going to send it to you in cash. Anything uh, below 1000 Above 1000 to 5000 we got to take it and send it to an IRA custodian. You know, again, people like pen checks, they keep it easy. Um, there's just no reason why you wouldn't want to have that provision. Because, you know, it's involuntary. So we don't hear back from the participants between one and 5,000. Uh, we give them notice. We don't hear back from them. We'll just move it to an IRA custodian. Petchex does a great job. Millennium does a really good job. Uh, it's a good business for them. Uh, they keep the money in stable value. So they're making money uh, as well with these stable value investments and plant participants, these former participants that are, have the account balances with them. You know, Pinchex, Millennium, they'll send out, you know, notices. And if they can't find them, they'll try to locate them. And, um, you know, the current limit is five. We go to $7,000 in 2024. That's great. Uh, it's not mandatory. So plans still could have that $1,000 or $5,000 limit. So, again, uh, when the move came out with the cash out, uh, what was it? Then we change 401A31 or whatever it was, that, and I think that was 2005, I want to say, when we had to put those amendments in. Um, you know, you can increase that $1,000 limit to $7,000 or that $5,000 limit to $7,000. It'd be crazy not to. Uh, it just makes it easier uh, to locate, you know, just pay people out. Just, you know, adios, goodbye. We don't need you. Anything above the limit, obviously, you still need their consent. And, you know, it's a great opportunity to, you know, deal with missing participants because pen checks, the Millennium, they're very, very good locating former participants. So uh, plant sponsor still has the problem of locating missing participants after the, you know, limit. So anything above the limit, uh, you know, we, we live in a good day and age. So uh, I'll tell you what life was like back in the old days. So back in the old days, um, most plans just didn't follow through with former participants. The Department of Labor didn't tell them to. So the money was just sitting there. 
Unfortunately, for most plans, they let it sit there until they terminated. So when they did terminate, you had an IRS letter forwarding, you know, program where you send the letter to the IRS and the IRS will forward the letter to the IRS's last address for the taxpayer. That's before the day and age of, uh, you know, online search tools, which are just fairly inexpensive. And uh, one of the biggest headaches before DOL rulings is what happens if you can't find them? What happens if you don't hear back from the IRS? So what did we do as a TPA? It wasn't nice. We did 100% withholding. So if somebody had 500 bucks in the account, we just sent it right off to the IRS. That wasn't nice. That wasn't nice at all. And the Department of Labor at the turn of this millennium put out um, guidance that said we couldn't do that. And I think that that was around 2005 when we had, when we had that change in the rule for, for rollovers. They said you, you couldn't do that. Uh, and a cheating to the state, which was a big headache, was the last resort for uh, missing participants. Uh, you know, we still have that provision in plan documents. I've never used it. I don't want to use it. I'd rather have the money in the plan than a shooting to the state for a missing participant because, you know, what happens if somebody does come back from the dead? I've seen, you know, too many soap operas. Uh, you know, I think I've seen uh, Taylor Hayes die a couple times in the Bowling Fiddle and come back from life, come back to life. Uh, I've seen Philip Chancellor the third come back. And, you know, he died on screen on the end of the Russes, but he did come back. So I'm always concerned about people coming back from the dead or long lost, um, you know, issues, which reminds me of the time when my wife's uncle died. Uh, my wife's uncle was a professor of sociology at Gallaudet University. He died right around the time, I want to say, we were married for about a year. He had no kids. My wife was the only beneficiary. And my wife was concerned that one of his illegitimate kids that may or may not have existed would come forward and try to claim the estate of $35,000. Uh, and I thought, I said so, that's completely ridiculous. Guy was, died in his 80s. If he had a illegitimate child who came out of the woodworks, we would have heard it by now. But, you know, again, uh, I don't like... Uh, Again, with this whole cheating, I don't like it. Uh, I like the Department of Labor's program that, you know, it's incumbent on the plan sponsor to locate missing participants. And obviously, if it's below the cash out limit, we use like the folks at Penchex. They're really good at locating people, uh, which reminds me of Penchex. The one time I did have an issue with them, um, my wife left her job. She got her account balance. Most of it, and there was, I think, a profit sharing, about $1,700 that was laying there, and they never contacted her, and then she just got the check from Penchex. She was kind of miffed that she had to pay $30 for the uh, distribution, because, you know, according to her, you know, her employer knew where she was all, at all times, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But, again, um, for those above the limit, it's obviously incumbent on the plan sponsor to locate uh, these missing participants, keep a log, keep records. If you ever get audited by the Department of Labor, the Department of Labor is going to ask about these former missing participants and what the heck did you do? Uh, 
And last but not least, the nature of former employees. I was a former employee too. Uh, you know, I was a malcontent. Uh, I didn't, you know, I, I come from the belief that happy employees never leave. Uh, I worked at a TPA once. There were people there for 20 some odd years who worked there. I think because they couldn't get a job anywhere else. But I'm sure they'll say, well, you know, we liked it there yeah, because they were the uh, the pets of the guy running the firm. He had his pets. And, you know, as a malcontent, as somebody who said it as he saw it, uh, Manny didn't like that. But whatever it was, um, you know, obviously uh, it's important uh, to understand that former employees can be big headache. The, you know, I, I've seen situations with former employers where, you know, again, former employees create havoc. Um, they allege discrimination when it may or may, may not be there. And they're going to cause problems with the 401k plans. And I've worked with former participants that have made complaints to the Department of Labor. I, I just, I, I run a very, very small multiple employer plan dealing uh, with a very niche industry where they're, you know, pretty much no employee deferrals. It's all employer money. And I'm getting lip from a former participant claiming she was upset that she wasn't told about the benefit that she got in the retirement plan. It was $600. And uh, she's making complaints to me, and I said, it's $600 in your account. It's found money. What's the problem? But she was just so irate that she claims that the employer never told her about it. That she says, I'm going to contact an uh, a lawyer. You know, and as a lawyer, I know what attorneys are going to do. Uh, they like to charge by the hour. And I said to her, it's $600. You're going to pay more on legal fees than you are about getting that $600 back. And she was just irate. It's the principle of it all. You know, let's say two weeks later, I still haven't heard back from her. Uh, again, I don't think any attorney in their right mind would take that. You know, there's no issue. We have the money in the account. Her claim is she's going to say we didn't give her notice of her account balance and we'll show uh, that Transamerica did email, actually did mail her notices. And she had, you know, the knowledge uh, that the money was there and the money's still there. Um, and But it doesn't stop from somebody going out and complaining about you. So that's why, you know, keeping on track of former employees kind of telling them to take their money and go, uh, take the money and run. It's a great way to do that. Uh, and if they don't uh, do that, we got this involuntary cash out rule, which we like. Uh, it's a tool. And any tool that could help alleviate a headache of a 401k plan sponsor is something that should be, um, you know, utilized. And I think one of the biggest problems that I see with the involuntary cash out rule is plan sponsors not using it. Um, it's the same thing as the forfeiture uh, provision. Forfeiture provision, IRS finally had some guidance on it. You need to, you know, use it. You can't use it as a bank account or a war chest, as I always say. And the same goes for the involuntary cash out rule. It's a mandatory provision in your plan if you added it. That means if people are on the limit, you got to, you know, start the process of cashing them out. Sending out those four or two up notices and telling them, take the money or run. And if they don't take the money, we're going to move it to an IRA if it's above 1,000, below five, 
low seven starting in 2024. Again, I think that that's a provision that every plane sponsor should utilize. They should increase those limits. And that's that. And, uh, you know, again, it's just a no-brainer. But again, we live in a business where we have plan sponsors just not understanding uh, their roles and the way that, the ways that they can limit liability. So that's why it becomes a bit heavy. So anyway, um, that's it for this episode of the 4K Podcast. I'm going to upload it. Uh, I'm going to make sure it's uploaded uh, here on Monday so it drops on Friday morning. Uh, go to that 4 for further information on all our events. Arlington, Texas. New York City, Bronx, New York, uh, and, uh, you know, we've got some good articles out there as well. So uh, hope you tune in next week for another episode of that 401k podcast.